What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Adventures of Time and Space. My name is Renee. What's your name? My name is Logan Wilkinson. This is episode three. We're talking about all kinds of fun things today, Renee. What do we talk about here? Uh, today we talk about the Women's World Cup. We bring that up. Go America! Yeah, America wins like they always do. Spoiler alert. Ooh, um, and then we also talk a little bit about uh, Kill Screen, the legacy of Kill Screen, yeah. and video game journalism. Where it's very, at right very now. good conversation. I really like that. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. Um, and then we end up talking about the English language mm-hmm. on a little tangent. It's a uh, buck wild. Yeah. So uh, stay tuned, and uh, we'll see you here in a second. Ready to go? Don't, don't you mess with, don't you mess with that mic? Okay. Don't you touch it. All right. I actually think that might have done something to your mic. I actually think that. I might funny. have. That's funny. Might have. Um, Logan, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you today, Renee? I'm good. I'm good. Today was a pretty chill day. It's a nice, beautiful Sunday in Austin. Yeah. It was. Uh, I might uh, maybe go for a run later. I don't know. Depending on how full I am from dinner. I won't do that. But I might go outside later today, potentially. Uh, had a nice time. It's RTX weekend when we're recording this. So yeah, tell me, tell me about RTX because you explained it at at beer night the other night, but I didn't exactly remember. I didn't. I haven't set foot in RTX. Do you like? So I guess too long didn't read recap. RTX is like a giant convention that Rooster Teeth does. It's about that simple. Oh, that's right. It's Rooster Teeth. Yeah, it's Rooster Teeth related. For anybody's listening to this, um, and I'm not going to RTX. I do live in Austin, though, and so lots of people are coming here for RTX, right? Whether it's very is it like, all week? It's today's the last day, Friday to Saturday, I believe. Oh, okay, so it's like a weekend. Yeah, cool. cool and um, but lots of people came in for it. Obviously, whether it's like kind of funny, I'm wearing a kind of funny shirt, but obviously you can't see it if you're listening to this. But I am. Um, so it's pretty funny. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, it's a baseball tee too, which I love. it's one of my favorite kind of shirts. Um, but yeah, so like kind of funny crew came in, and then just like a bunch of friends. Uh, so whether it's like the Trevor, the Bins, Chloe's, blesses those kind of people. Um, so like Mike, um, and just getting to like see them and hang out with them, right? Like, I, so I'm not going to RTX itself, but I have I took the entire weekend off, obviously, and then just like Friday off, and was like I'm just gonna, and then Thursday was Fourth of July, um, but like I'm just gonna go out here and just hang out with these people, uh, and so basically starting like Thursday night, uh, just been out with them, um, went to. The bungalow, I believe it's called, on the, Rainy Street. The bungalow? I think it's called bungalow. Okay. Went there on Friday night. Um, that's the little, little like dancing spot. Uh, Jazz is there. Me, a bunch of other people were there. Trevor was there. Ben was there. Chloe was there. Um, and it was just, I had a good time there. It's my first ever time there. Um, I don't know if you go down to Rainy or Sixth Street that much because Sixth Street is trash. It's like actual <laughs> trash. That's not your scene. Uh, Rainy's better, but it is a thing too of like. Parking downtown anywhere really is like you just don't do it. A crime against humanity. Yeah, just don't do it. But I on Friday was one for me where I was like I was like oh man screw this where it was like I drove down to what uh, Trevor and my friends is staying at the, the Hilton, and so like I drove down and like parked across the street and it's like ah it's gonna be like fifteen bucks or whatever but it's like ah like it's expensive but it's like fine I'll do it because I'm gonna be here the rest of the night so like it's I can do it that's fine whatever and it's like it's really like right across the street so like that's good enough. And then I walked out of the hill and to go away from him. And then at that moment, I realized that the message he had sent me actually said that he and like the entire Cinebike Mike crew and everybody would be at the Hyatt Regency 
Oh, yeah. She's not the Hilton. Right. Um, and Senna's like, all right, cool. That's the $15 you're spent for nothing. And said I left and like, cause it's like across the river and it's like, I could walk it, but it's like a 25 minute walk. And it's like, I don't really want to do or to that. get here. No, from, from oh. the Hyatt, from like the Hilton to the Hyatt. And I was like, I don't want oh, to do yeah, that. Oh yeah, no, don't do that. So like I drove and then I had to pay like two bucks to park there. So I'd spend $25 in parking now. And I was like, all right, like, but I'm here now. And then eventually you drove back to go to the bungalow. And so there I just, like me and Trevor just parked at the Hyatt and walked there, which is like a five minute walk. So like that, at least I got my money. It's worth, I guess. Didn't just like waste your 10 bucks. Um, but yeah, getting to see them like that's the thing too right like because like i'll you'll see these various people at like paxes or like those kind of events um like extra life but like getting to see them is always like a nice occasion because it isn't like the weekly like beer night group kind of thing mm-hmm. uh where you see them like every week kind of thing or like every day kind of thing it's like i haven't seen trevor or jen since march for pax east right same with like ben and chloe um, Joey Noel, who's community manager for KF and a very good friend of mine, I haven't seen since last June for kind of a prom, right? So like a few people like that. So it's like, it's always nice to like see people again, like get a few drinks and just have a good time with them, um, whether it's been like a few months or a year. So getting to do that, going to bungalow, stand up until like two, three o'clock in the morning. Um, very nice. Yeah, it was a good time all around. Um, half of them have probably already left as of recording this at Sunday at like 4 p.m., um, a few more don't leave until tomorrow and Tuesday, so there are a few more days to see them at least and get like a f- few more uh, nights in or just even in some brunch. And I had a brunch with one of them earlier today. It was very delightful. Nice. At Kirby Lane. Um, their first time there. It's very good. We watched nice. the... Nice. That's a religious experience. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, when I first moved to Austin, my, literally my very first like day in Austin, when I first tweeted out like, I'm in Austin now. And like Jazz took me to Kirby Lane and it was like 10 o'clock at night when I drove in because I drove from Missouri. And so we ate there, kind of thing, did that. And, like, we put on Twitter, like, and social, like, oh, like, I'm in Austin, I moved here. And every company was just like, go to Kirby Lane, go to Kirby Lane, go to Kirby Lane, go to Kirby Lane. Yeah, it's like, guys, yeah. like, I've already, I'm, I've been here. It's literally the very first thing I did in town before we even went to any sort of apartment building. Was just like, go to Kirby Lane. Like, it's like, I've done it. Yeah. Uh, y'all took it very seriously. Um, yeah, it's sort of a, um, it's like a better Waffle House. Uh, Waffle House is pretty great. I mean, Waffle House is I great. I feel like it's like a fancier Waffle House. Uh, like that's okay. Yeah, I could. Yeah, I could agree with that. Yeah, maybe a little. Yeah, especially now after they did the redesign, they're like yeah. rebuilt. They're pretty nice. Yeah, uh, but did that, and then I also saw the United States women's national team. Oh yeah, win the World Cup. It's in the dock, man. We won it two nil over the Netherlands. Did you do that at the tavern? Uh, no, I went to again. Me and Trevor were at Cumberland for brunch, and oh, they okay. had like just big ass TVs. Nice. Cause we just ate at like the diner counter because it was like packed, and we just. I heard it was awesome. It was awesome. It was great. Um, shout out to Megan Rapino. She uh, turns out she's actually a president now. That's how the oh, rules okay. work. We don't. I don't make them. I just have to enforce right. them. So she is the president now. Oh, that's great. Uh, won the Golden Boot and the Golden Ball Award. Um, the Golden Boot. Golden Boot is for top goal scorer of the tournament. She ah, won okay. that. Golden Ball is for best player. Um, so she won that as well. Uh, Megan Pino, just an incredible person. Um, also, like, a great, like, the whole, like, U.S. Women's National Team, I, like, put this on Twitter afterwards, just, like, what they've done on the field is incredible, right? Like, win every game, didn't even have a draw, anything like that, like, just, like, plowed through. Won their first game 13-0, like, they just put on a clinic, set a record for the most goals scored in a Women's World Cup tournament. Um, it was an incredible performance all around. Um, and won back-to-back titles, obviously, um, on the 20th anniversary of, like, the 99ers, like, anniversary of that world cup women's team i really hope this like makes the women's team more in the spotlight 
Because, I, I mean, everyone goes nuts Every for the men's team. Every four years, right? Yeah. yeah. And I feel like every four years, people, like, lose their minds, right? And, like, that's the thing. Like, the women's, t- the women's U.S. national team is more supported than the men's team. But you don't see that reflected, I feel like, at moments. But it is true. It's been, it's been the fact of the reality probably for 20 years, at least, since well, the beginning of the 99 World And I Cup. feel like the USA, like, USA um, really does root for their women's team. Yes. But that's maybe not the whole rest of the world. And that's changing over time, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I think that, again, the 99 World Cup was a watershed moment for women's Women's sports in general, not even soccer, because um, like the impact of that one. But the thing that yeah really motivates me and really inspires me about this team is is what they do like off the field, right? Like they're outspoken advocates for like equality, right, and equal pay, and like gender equality and like LGBTQ issues, um, and they champion kind of these progressive, just equal rights for equal people yeah. um, movements, right? And Megan Rapinoe is kind of at the forefront of that, right? With her, like, outspokenness against, like, Donald Trump and, like, gender equality and, the ce- like, the celebration controversy that the U.S. women's team had to deal with after, like, they celebrated goals. Like, oh, pretend, yeah. Like, they were, like, too extravagant or whatever. And yeah, here's Morgan's dumb. out here popping off. And it's, like, I think what they've done on the field is incredible. What they've done off the field to kind of help lift up the entire sport, the entire game, like, women's sports in general, right? Like, and inspire like a new generation right because it's, it's cool because it is like the 20th anniversary of like the 1989 women's world cup which is like the watershed moment right in like women's soccer women's sports in general in a lot of ways and they were very much directly impacted and inspired by that women's team right of mia ham brandy chastain julie fowdy those kind of people and then 20 years later right they're inspiring their own next generation right to kind of follow it in their footsteps around see like the progress they've made that they've built off of from who's come before to who's going to be following them and it's an incredible thing um the u.s women's jerseys for this year uh was the most bought jersey in the history of the world cup men or women's team oh wow um, didn't know that and so like the supports shattered viewing records attendance records um it is a it is a almost like its own watershed moment in a lot of ways too especially for like doubt spokenness and i mean the fact that it's being played true. in bars yeah right in different exactly places. right and i think there's a great um, Budweiser, like full, like front page ad that they took out, and then I think it was the New York Times today about how every four years everybody in the country stops and watches the Women's World Cup team and is enraptured by them and loves them and supports them so much. And then whenever the World Cup ends, they don't pay attention anymore, right? And it had the entire point of the full page ad by Budweiser is like Budweiser is like we're sponsoring the National Women's Soccer League, which is like the U.S. Soccer League. We're sponsoring them and saying back it up right like support them in the world cup yes but then also when they go back to their club teams where they play for the other three and a half years right like watch those games like support those games like be there for the be in the stands for that buy those jerseys buy those tickets kind of thing and i think that's that's, the next step right i I think but i think that's also indicative of just like soccer in general because like i love the world cup every four years for the men's team Mm -hmm. right like not even just the women's but the men's team right and uh but i i like club matches like that kind of thing is so far um like i don't have cable sure <laughs> i'm yeah. a cord cutter you know and it's hard for me to keep up with club matches in general so mm-hmm. i don't know if that i mean i i get what the message is for yeah. sure absolutely and i agree with it um but i don't i guess i i i like it's it's not just the world cup matches it's no. it's also it's if we're either gender like mm-hmm. it's just it's just it's so much to keep up with for clubs and i, and I am ignorant to how it all works yeah. in general like, uh, i think fo- like i think american football is so much easier to 
keep up with maybe it's because americans are lazy to keep up with their sports teams maybe but like it's possible there's like one team for your city right or like there's one like there's like one team that you follow and you don't have to follow individual players playing in their clubs america um is lucky like mls we're going like switching to the men's league um and that like only two cities in America have multiple teams. Only New York right. City. Only New York City and LA. Right? It's no different than like any other sport where like there are multiple teams in like those kind of cities. Right. Um, they have the money. Yeah. Right. Uh, but like it's it's that thing of the Austin's getting a team in two years. Um, it'll be a mm-hmm. big moment for right, for this region of the country and this city. It's gonna be huge. Which I think is ravenous for a pro sports team. They haven't. It's never had one. They, they've. I mean, they're, we're ready. We're primed, right? We're such a oh, big yeah. city to not have one. Um, and so I think Austin's primed for that. I think the country itself is primed for that. Like, I think these women are legitimate stars and legitimate, like, champions and advocates, right? There's a great tweet I saw of somebody saying, like, the pressure on Megan Pino after she, like, kind of pointed out Donald Trump's failings and I think kind of flaws and disgustingness and said, like, she wouldn't go to the White House if they won the World Cup kind of thing. And then the blowback and flash she got on like Fox News and like Breitbart and those kind of channels, like from conservative circles in general. And then for her to just take that and be like, all right, like, all right, I hear you saying that, like, why, like, how presumptuous of you to even think you'd even win the World Cup and like he'd even all this stuff. And then she's like, all right, we'll win it. And then we're not going to go. And she just took it and like her and Alex Morgan and like Kelly O'Hara and those kind of players just like went on and just like blew past competition. Right? Like Megan Pino took all the men's kind of storm circling around her right and stood by her political comments and kind of politically courageous statements in a lot of ways and delivered in a breathtaking performance right like all across the board around like somebody on twitter today went like a sports journalist i saw i called it like an ollie-esque performance right like there's a little bit of ollie in megna pino and her just like willingness to stand up because of what she believes is right right and what she thinks is right and just and fair and equal and equitable to everybody in the country right and like people who've been marginalized and pushed down she's like i won't stand for that right like I, like we demand be paid equal to men's team we sell more jerseys we get more viewers we are a better team we demand equal pay that's right true. they are a better team and we demand and like i demand more representation for like lgbtq people because she's a member of that community and like we we have to do these things and donald trump is like a trash monster basically mm. and she's like like you might not agree with it but like i think that's the case and i think that his actions have had negative repercussions in the country which i think we would both agree with and for her to like say all these like politically courageous and biden things and then just deliver a performance to back it up with it's very much akin to a ollie performance back in the 60s and 70s and so I really, I really love that tweet that's pretty good um, analysis yeah she's rad because so. he was a i mean people call him a draft dodger they called him a yeah, I mean, I mean that's the thing. Like, uh, like you only you only universally loved decades after you did something, right? Uh, you're never universally loved in the moment. That's true. Um, whether you're Muhammad Ali or Megan Rapino or like somebody's far removed, like Abraham Lincoln, right? Like these people are, in the moment are. I mean, if you do something of great change and great effect and to lift other people up, it will naturally unsettle and upset other people um, who like the status quo because it benefits them. And so I think people who do things with great heroism and courage um, are not people who are also necessarily beloved. But there's a great quote um, 
and it's it's basically like judge somebody like not by the friends they have but by the enemies they've made right and i think the enemies that these people have made throughout their lives and careers um are enemies that you'd want to have be your enemies and not your friends mm-hmm. um so yeah it was an incredible performance megan rapino's queen um i'm very excited to see what she does next um and the whole u.s women's national team does next um and what they do say about like there was a statement came out like an hour after the world cup of like them being like we demand equal pay for like what we do because it was something like well then it makes sense it makes so much logical sense i think it was like if they make if they sell more jerseys if they and i mean, I mean like and also just the fact that like you each play the same so we should get paid equally but like it's also the thing of i think for they did win the world cup but like if they won the world cup they would get like i think it was like a fifty one thousand dollar bonus per player which is like sure okay that's pretty good um and then if but the men's team were to theoretically win the world cup it would be a 1.1 million dollar bonus it's not the same thing. which is not the same that thing. number is it's much n- higher not even one tenth it's literally like one twentieth of what the men would get um and so that doesn't seem fair or equal to me and so they naturally are upset by that and now they have even more leg than they already did to be, say we are We've won half the World Cups every stage for the women's event. We're back-to-back champions. Um, we demand to be paid equal to the men who have never won a World Cup, who have never made it to World Cup final. Oof. And the last time that they made it to a semifinal was 1930, which F. is the first World Cup. Oh, we demand to be paid equal to these individuals for what oh. we've accomplished and for the like and for inspiring the entire sport basically to exist. There was no women's soccer without the U.S. Women's National Team. F in the chat for the men's so, USA team. F, 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 F. So anyway, uh, it was great. I love soccer. Obviously, it's my favorite sport. And it was rad to watch women just triumph. And I was there to watch both goals scored today. Megan Pino stood up there and scored what would be the game-winning goal. Um, ice cold veins to knock that penalty kick in. Um, it was rad. That's pretty cool. Logan, what are you... Um, would you play this week? So I'm playing more Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I'm just really enamored with the game. Uh, I really do love it. It's in a way that like no Assassin's Creed game has really gotten me. Really like no game this year has gotten me. Um, like maybe RE2 um, remake, uh-huh. but this this one's just something really quite special. Like it is partially the ancient Greece setting is oh, right. just like magical, right? Like I've always been somebody who like really loves Greek mythology. Um, so whether it's like a God of War game or like a Percy Jackson book series or this, like I just love that time period and time frame. Um, but it is like the combat feels like I wanted Assassin's Creed games to feel like five, ten years ago. Um, for sure, this one's more. I mean, it still has its flaws, but it's more yeah, polished. Definitely right, and like I can actually crouch for Charters wherever I want to crouch, which seems you know obvious in a stealth game, but it's relatively new. I think only this one and the previous one have had that. Um, the combat feels good. Um, but it, it and like, but it is like playing the stealthily just feels so right. And like, the story is cool. Cassandra is a fantastic character. I really like her a lot. Um, and then just going and meeting these like historical figures um, is really really cool. I finally got into like Athens um, this past week, which is uh, immense and amazing, and gorgeous. Right to see like this city not like twenty four hundred years removed of like the ruins, like the Parthenon and everything, but like Athens. At like the peak of As- like Athens, right? Like Pericles, like leading this like city and like everything there, and like the Parthenon being like brand new and it's gorgeous. Right? Like that's like the one thing I keep saying about this game is that like Assassin's Creed Odyssey is just a beautiful video game. Like it is just like one of the most beautiful games I think I've played in a while. Um, like the water effects, like when you're sailing, nice. just like the blazing like multicolored sunsets, right? And like the like shimmering green vistas as you like kind of perch on top of a statue and like look at it for like miles on in right and there's a great shot 
it's like the tallest thing in Athens where you can get on top of like a statue, like a giant statue of like Athena um, right next to the Parthenon. And you can just look out over across like the entire city for like miles, like just all the way, all the way around like the entire cityscape. And it's just like a shot where I like looked at that and was like, this is mad. Right? And there's like <laughs> a shot, right? Because when you get to Athens, basically, you have to like go up like this, like kind of like, not a mountain, but like a big hill, basically, kind of overlooking it before you like get to the actual city itself. And when I first did that and like saw it, I, like, I was going to Athens and it was right there. And like, I was just like, and you can like see like, cause like, have you been to Athens before? Yes. Okay. So like, you know, like where the Parthenon's at, it's kind of like on like a bigger, like, oh, yeah. Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah. And like seeing that from the overlook, I was like, this is a like rad shot. Like what this looks like in like 400, I think it's 30 BC when this game is set. And like, it's just like, and like, cause it is like inner left tube, obviously, but it's like, this like immense, just like jets up into the sky where like that part of the city's at. And it's like, this is it's incredible it's a beautiful game um and i love ancient kind of classical history i have not been to athens unfortunately um <laughs> but every like second i play this game i'm just like i just want to go to greece i just want to go to greece i just it's want to amazing go to greece, right? and, like this birthplace of western civilization in so many ways and yeah it's yes. it's great i've been playing a lot of that um how about you um so on friday i had to work after the fourth of july um so it kind of yeah yeah f in the chat i mean it was actually pretty productive um at the office for me at least um but what i did because we knew it was going to be dead and Mm -hmm. it was it was like totally dead there was no one um else working and so i brought my switch and shout out to nintendo for making the switch so portable Mm -hmm. and i brought smash because it was five of us and we were just all dudes so we i brought smash and i brought mario party Mm, Party, yes i bought joy cons um new joy cons so that we have four and i we just hooked it up to a projector yeah and just yeah we just played smash Absolutely. and mario party like the whole time God, Not the whole i love mario party so much we would have like bursts of productivity mm-hmm. and then we'd have bursts of mario party yeah mario party yeah. and like my coworkers were just like pooping on me because like my roster in smash isn't fully completed yet because mm-hmm. i just don't like I only, I really only play Smash when I'm with other people. Yeah, it's it's not, that kind of game. To be fair, yeah, it's yeah, it's not for me when, like, I'm by myself trying to beat up a computer. Mm-hmm. Um, although I have a huge inclination to buy the DLC just for Banjo Kazooie. Uh, are you Banjo guy? Oh, I love Banjo. Kazooie. I don't know if I knew this about you. I thought we talked about it last week. Did we on the podcast? We talked about one of these weeks. Yes, we talked about Banjo Kazooie for like a, a long. Like, yeah, I love. Yeah, that game. I remember, that I game remember is like so I think it's perfect. Free for ship, so yeah, 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 that game is so perfect. Um, Banjo Tooie is also very good. I think they're making a remake. But yeah, I uh, yeah, yeah, I hope they are. Is, is that is that a real rumor? I think so. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a rumor. I mean, if they have the assets, obviously, like they have, they made a Banjo Kazooie for the. Oh, I'll buy a remake immediately. I'm checking right now. Um, other than that, um, I've been considering, so I was, I finally decided like, oh yeah, maybe I should check out, I should check out Hollow Knight. Mm. Everyone's talking about Hollow Knight. Yeah. I love Metroidvanias. I love Metroid. Um, and then Bloodstained was released Mm. and I've heard that Bloodstained is super good. It's also a Metroidvania. Um, so now I'm trying to decide between whether I want to buy Hollow Knight for $15. Mm Mm-hmm. Or if I want to buy Bloodstained for forty dollars, so all I'll say is that I haven't played either game, um, but Hollow Knight people adore that video. I've heard, and I think people people like Bloodstained a lot. I think, but Hollow Knight, I think what it did is so different and unique and special in its own way, right? Like, I think of like Alex, 
um, who's like the EIC of IP, and he when he played it last year, like he he fell in love with the game. It became immediately one of his like all time single favorite Metroidvanias. Like he absolutely fell in love with it. With Rapture, it's challenging. It's super hard. It's not easy or forgiven in a lot of ways. It's very difficult. It's almost like a Dark Souls Metroidvania in some aspects. Yeah, instead sort of heard. Yeah, which I'm down for. Uh, another friend of mine, Moises, also played it and loved it. Like, I think that game. A, I think the art style is really cool and neat. I think the premise is really neat. Um, and I think what it does is so different and special, right? And you, like, I think Bloodstained is, for obvious reasons, is much more kind of a traditional Metroidvania. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, obviously, I have no reading interest in this race. But like, if you're thinking of those two games, I would say do Hollow. A, it's also cheap. But, like, do Hollow Knight um, <laughs> and see how you feel about that. It is not going to be easy. Um, but Bloodstained won't be easy either. Neither game's going to be easy. Right. Because um, I think Hollow Knight is going to be doing something so different, and it might not be. It might not be for you. But I think it's more interesting, more fun to kind of take that risk on something like it's just doing something so different and like novel. So I wanted to I wanted to ask you because ask I me. I saw this. It was in a YouTube video that I, I was looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, something I hadn't thought of until recently. A buddy of mine just picked up Portal Two, Ooh. Um, which is a great. I'm super I've never played him. a Portal game. I saw the one. Oh man, you got to one or two. Oh my god, they're amazing. It's one of the biggest gaps in my gaming library. It really is. Um, he just got it on Steam. The Steam sale, mm-hmm. I believe, is still going on. It might, it might still be going on. I can't. I, I need to double check. Sure. But he got it on the Steam sale. I saw that he was playing it today. Um, earlier. Now here's a. So, but you're aware of the premise, right? That like, you, you yes. Go through a portal, come out yeah. the other side, and then if you go fast through a portal, then you're gonna come fast out the other portal. Like mm-hmm. velocity is maintained. Okay. So that's if you're moving fast and the portals are stationary. Okay. So here's here's the paradox, and no one's quite sure. Like there's there's arguments back and forth. All right. So what happens if like you've got a block, and mm-hmm. the block is on the ground? Mm-hmm. Let's say that you had a portal on a moving piece, like like a moving um, piece of wall. Right. You mm-hmm. shot a portal on the wall, and then you remove that wall, mm-hmm. and now you're throwing that wall, and you throw it at the cube. Okay. So the portal itself is moving very quickly. Yeah. Okay. All right. So when the cube comes out of the other portal, mm-hmm. is it going fast or is it standing still? So I'll tell you what I think. Yeah. And apparently I disagree with the guy who made the video that I watched. I think that the cube, because the cube is not moving, yeah. the portal is moving. I think that the cube comes out the other portal still. Right, because if the cube is on the ground, then now the now the ground is where the other portal is, and the cube is like like it's 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 the same space. Mm-hmm. The portals are like essentially the same space. Mm-hmm. That's how portals work. Yeah, I think that when the portal is launched at the cube and then lands onto the cube, the cube isn't moving. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So it it doesn't it doesn't start moving. How are you? Rel- so you have like a portal gun to basically shoot the portal at yeah. the thing. Well, yeah. So yeah, like like okay. So make it to make it more simple. There's a like Indiana Jones style. Yeah. There's the ceiling is falling onto this cube and it's going to. That's crush the portal basically. And and yeah. So yeah, you shoot the portal onto the so ceiling what I that's say, coming down. What I would say based off that, based off, I think physics, but also just what I know of portal itself and like how that works. I would say that if that is the case, portal's fallen onto the cube, basically, and like the cube is only going to get put it wherever it gets put based on like the next portal thing i think i mean like it'll like fall whatever 
like if it's falling from like a ceiling kind of thing. But like I, the portal itself, I mean, the cube itself is not going to be moving. Right. It's going to get like shot out somewhere if it's like the side of a wall, like kind of down, obviously. But like it's just like pops down like up kind of thing. Let's like, say the portal like pops upwards, it's just going to like fall. Like it's not going to go anywhere itself. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Yes, that's what I would agree with. Apparently, like this is a very big like like people who have degrees in this kind of thing are arguing about it. And the game itself can't handle that kind of logic. So if you yeah. ever, in the game, and I mean, this doesn't spoil anything, but yeah. in the game, if you shoot your portal onto something that's moving and it's not supposed to be, like, it's not, you're not supposed to be able to shoot your, your portal onto something moving, but if you do, mm-hmm. it, like, wipes the portal. Because the people tried, like, using the game engine to solve this problem, mm-hmm. and it just it glitches the game out. It doesn't know how to handle mm. this. It doesn't mm. have the logic for it. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's, it makes sense to me that if you, like, basically if... If the the thing is fallen, the portal and it hits like a stationary cube. Right. I mean, obviously, like I guess it matters like where the cube is in getting shot out from, kind of thing, like where like the right. next if portal is at. Like, yeah. like, even, like obviously, even like, but even if the portal, like, it, you hit the portal hits the cube on the ground and the portal like, gets shot out of is like on the ceiling, it's gonna fall. But it's fallen not because it itself has any velocity. It's fallen because it's from the ceiling, so it has right. to fall. Gravity's in play exactly. there. If it's on like the side of a wall and it falls, it's fallen over the thing because that's how velocity works. But it itself has no velocity, right? right. Like, it itself is not being that's what I was thinking. Hurled forward, right? That definitely, like, that definitely makes sense. That definitely doesn't make sense to me that like, somebody would argue that like it's doing these things because of like the velocity of like the portal it crashed into. That doesn't matter, right? Yes, that's, I definitely I mean, agree with that. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. I, th- I, I just want to make sure I wasn't crazy no i definitely that definitely makes sense to me in terms okay. of like how like physics and like gravity works stuff like that yeah okay that makes sense all right well good um did you have any what else did you want to talk about so here's what i guess said to you okay it's in the dock which i'm okay. calling it right now okay so what i have to say is also we can do this quick thing so yeah on this week's or i guess last week's episode of input let me hear this and record it of input we had rebecca valentine on who is a journalist for GameIndustry.biz. The reason we brought Ooh, her on dot is... Biz. Dot Biz. Yeah. Serious. Uh, and GameIndustry.biz is obviously like an industry-focused like magazine talking about like the finances and like economy and economic stuff like that. But every year since, I think she said 2015, yeah, I think, there's been a feature where they basically do a thing on like game and like tech companies like possibly funding like human rights abuses oh. um, because of where they get their parts from. Oh no! Um, and it's I, don't, super, I don't need this much. Ethics it's super fascinating, that. super interesting. Oh, Apple is totally Apple is on up and up. Apple's all good. Um, Wait, work, really? Yeah, Apple's Wait. the best. Really? Apple knows that all of their parts come for their like game stuff and like tech pieces, and none of them come from like human rights violators. Um, most oh. of the, most of the parts that most of the parts um, come from the Congo for like that for like these kind of things. Oh, so I mean, we're talking about like real human rights. Yes, violations. like actual human rights violations. Because I remember, like, like Apple gets a lot of flack because of their like the just for, the, just for that... this particular thing. Okay, okay, just for okay, this okay. particular thing. Got it, got it. Um, and um, Sony and Sony's like like the worst. Um, in terms of like they just don't know where a lot of their pieces come from, like oh. a significant amount, and like they, you have to like send out like a server where you get their parts from, and like people like don't necessarily reply to it. Um. Yeah, which gaming hardware manufacturers may have funded human rights abuses in 2018. And, like, obviously, these, like, fundings of human rights abuses are, like, indirectly. Like, obviously, it's, like, just based on, like, where they get their supplies from. Like, they may have, like, one point in time money might have, like, crossed hands with it and that kind of thing. Um, and, like, the 
byline for the piece is Apple and Facebook still best gaming companies for ethical sourcing. Sony continues to lag. Valve says nothing. Um, and like the opening opening paragraph of the piece by Rebecca is, quote, when Apple asked its business partners for 2018 whether their operations were funded human rights abuses, five of them decided not to respond. Apple answered by halting all business with them. When Sony asked its business partners for 2018 whether their operations were funding human rights abuses, over 50 of them decided not to respond. Sony answered by saying it would demand a response next year, something the companies also said last year when the same thing happened, and the year before that, to no significant improvement. Apple and Sony are two ends of what turns out to be a pretty broad spectrum of caring about conflict minerals, which is the crux of this, right. in the games industry, end quote. And so it's like an entire thing about like, conflict minerals and like where you're getting them from and um oh, yeah apple and facebook are the two best microsoft and nintendo are kind of just in the middle um nintendo is a little bit better um and then sony is kind of at the bottom and but to be fair valve didn't even respond so they could be anything um, valve, valve just seems so checked out regarding everything though. just regarding everything and it's all based on like filings that they have to do um to the u.s government and then obviously you just like shift through that and you can see this stuff um it's all publicly available. It just takes I mean, a lot of work. Anything that, whenever the public asks Valve for anything, they just don't care um, to respond. And so, like, Nintendo doesn't even have to do it because they're not a American company. Sony obviously has, like, Sony of America, so they have right. to do it. Um, but Nintendo doesn't. They just do it anyway, um, just out of good yeah. spirit kind of thing. Good guy, Nintendo. Yeah. Um, and then there are a few other companies who aren't American that do it, some that don't do it. Um, and... It's super interesting to read. It's super interesting piece. You didn't talk to Rebecca about just like the actual like gumshoe journalism at all, right? And like just like shifting through legal documents and legal documents and legal documents, right? Um, and luckily the site has done it for, since 2015. This is her second year of doing it. She did it last year. Now this year, they've expanded it to a few other sites. I mean, to a few other like companies that they didn't include in, in years past. Um, and it's a super interesting read. It was a very, very, very good conversation about like a topic that was obviously important, like whether or not human rights violations are getting you know, funded and like conflict minerals and stuff like that. Um, and just like talking about like the actual like reporting side of it as well. They should all go listen to input and you know, plug that, but like also just like check out the actual article itself. Um, and then, yeah, like it was interesting too, because in the midst of this, we talked about like, what can you even do about it? And that led to where it's like the, almost like the most like bummer part of this being like, well, you're not, you can't not buy the console because you're not going to buy a Microsoft console to then buy a PlayStation and safe. If like, if you really care about this, because they're each not great, you could buy a Nintendo console, I guess, but right. And then, and then it's the thing like, well, you can, you should, you should write your representative and your senators if it matters to you. Um, because it's an important thing, obviously, uh, the issue being the fact that like the current administration just won't care. Right. Um, and at the very, and I would, wouldn't even be stunned if like they, you like demand pressure on this and they respond just by repealing the requirement to begin with. Like they don't even care anymore. Um, and so, oh, it's, because in their in their eyes, it hinders business. Exactly. Exa like it's that. exactly right. It's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. My apologies. That's exactly right. And so, it's a thing. Like the best case scenario is like demand attention, raise awareness, so that within like two years, kind of thing, more change can happen, right? And like more kind of scrutiny and requirements can be put in place. And um, so, just to be clear, we're talking about like the minerals, the conflict like minerals. The, 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 she, yeah, the there. I think there are five minerals. Um, the five minerals are conflict minerals is a blanket term we have for minerals that are mined in conflict zones around the world the acquisition sale transport or movement of which ultimately funds or perpetuates the conflict conflict minerals 
Um, this could mean directly funding armies or rebel groups, making use of slave labor for mining operations, or, which is the most common one for tech companies, having illegal taxes, bribery, or corrosion by armed groups touch the supply chain at any point in time. That's the thing. Like, it's not necessarily like directly funded. It's like at any point in time all on supply chain, because there are a lot of suppliers in the supply chain. Right. Does our bribes handled, right? Our illegal taxes or corrosion kind of put in place, um, whether deliberately or not. Like it's, not even like, it's not like necessarily malicious. It's just like how much are you trying to like make sure you're not like kind of funding anybody. Um, the four most common conflict minerals are tungsten, tin, tantalanium, and gold, collectively referred to as 3TG. And they're all... All the stuff you need to make. And they're all frequently, yeah, they're basically all in products that everybody uses. Basically all gaming hardware, but even more than that, like even more broadly, like this piece only focuses on gaming hardware, but like just tech hardware in general features almost guaranteed at least one of those things, if not multiple of them. Right. Um, And so, yeah, again, it's very, very interesting read. Um, and kind of a good way to learn more about like conflict minerals and that kind of thing situation in some of these countries and how some of them have kind of responded, right? Like Valve's response, like when they did send a statement, it's basically just be like, we just don't buy anything from those countries. And it's like, that's a way to do it. But also like, there's also some like weird, like racial undertones in that of being like, we're just going to exclude these entire country from doing it. And then also like what that necessarily does to like hurt legitimate sales of these minerals in those countries. Yeah. And it's a tricky, it's a tricky one either way. Like there's no good answer, obviously. Um, it's messy and complicated. The best you can do is try to do what Apple and Facebook have done, which would be like super thorough about where they're getting them sourced from, where they're getting them coming from. And if you don't respond, just cut that person off and cut somebody who will. You say you said Facebook? Apple and Facebook were the two best. Interesting. What is Facebook? I, I guess I just don't know what Facebook makes. Um, they some. It's a, like one of those like console things. that's like there, but like not there. Um, but. Yeah, and so it's like those are the things. Um, yeah, I'm not trying to quiz you. I just, no, I just no, 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 no. I'm, I'm just curious if like Facebook makes it because I mean, to my knowledge, all they do is software and their own. Oh, it's Facebook's uh, like Oculus Rift, Oculus Go, VR stuff. Oh, that's right because I did buy them. Yeah, oh, and so yeah. yes, it is them. They do it. So that makes sense. Dang. Yeah, and so and then also in the thing, you have to like document like what you're doing, try to improve or not, and like that's kind of stuff. But it's very interesting. Um, and it's something that like stuck out to me two weeks ago when we first kind of saw it, and then we immediately reached out to Rebecca to bring her on, talk about it. Um, I blame Spider Man. I blame Spider Man really for Sony's uh, Sony's issues. Uh, Sony's not technically the worst. Um, they just don't. It's a thing of like if you don't respond, they'll just be like, "Do it next year." Oh and yeah. And then it's like if you don't do next year, they're like, "Well, do it the next year," kind of thing. Um, but. It is what it is. Uh, to their credit, Apple, I think like it's like 2011, whatever, or something like that, like one of the years, like they got like only like 60% of them they could like confirm weren't funding conflict minerals. Interesting. And, and are we taking them like at their word at this point? Like we're not, like, like I guess what is the... Um... They're like, it's it's in the like piece itself. Like, oh, okay, okay, like, okay, all okay, okay. Just take like the whole thing. Very cool, very cool. Um, they have like 60%, they can only confirm like 60% weren't funding in any way conflict, like conflict zones. And then Apple saw it in the very next year. They were just like, here's a whole new s- the things they're doing. And the very next year, they had 100%, like, nothing is trying to yet. So, like, ever since they've been 100%. Um, and so, there's that. But it was a very good read. I like that story a lot. Um, I think it's a really interesting one within the games industry. Um, and so, you should all read it and learn more about it. And, you know, bring up the issue more often in the industry itself. And then we can enact changes kind of from within the industry. Yeah. Thank you. What do you guys say, Renee?
Well, I wanted to talk about, um, I mean, I texted you earlier this week mm-hmm. about kill screen mm-hmm. and kill screen is kind of the thing that, um, made me want to do this podcast to begin with. Um, and it really made me start thinking kill screen for everybody who isn't aware. Kill screen was a magazine. You might even call it a zine. Um, I think it's fair. Yeah. Um, smaller, smaller publishing. I remember ordering the first issue. Mm-hmm. I somehow heard about it from GQ. I think because the p- people who made kill screen, um, were like wall street contributors, mm-hmm. uh, wall street journal contributors. Are you a big GQ guy? I was at the time. Yeah. I, I subscribed to them and I, I found them on, a, on like a listicle that GQ mm-hmm. had. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Like, let me check them out. And I remember getting the first package of kill screen and it was a handwritten, like the mailing label was handwritten mm-hmm. and thinking like, Oh, this is so cool. I'm like on the ground floor of this thing. And I loved it. I mean, there's no ads in it. Like kill screen was so different than like anything like IGN yes. Kotaku because they didn't rate video games on like a scale. They nope. just talked about them yes. and like not even like new games, like, just games that you were familiar with from like your childhood or in general talked about architecture, talked about environment, um, any, anything that intersected with video games is what they talked about. And I loved it. And that's kind of what, um, makes me want to talk about video. Like last week we talked about Venezuela. Yeah. Economics. That was a great conversation. And like how that, um, mixes with games. And that's the kind of thing that I like about video games is like how much part of the culture that they are. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking for something about kill screen. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. And I like, I could have sworn that at least there were some articles here and there that were being published, but kill screen is like essentially completely dead. Um, it's website now is just like an aggregator for other things. Um, and I was just thinking about like, well, I know I loved it. I'm sure other people loved it. Mm. And I just started thinking about what happened that let it die. And I started thinking about BuzzFeed and how mm. successful mm. that they have been mm. because they have this like duality BuzzFeed does. They have the listicles. They have their like funny YouTube quizzes. channels, the quizzes, yeah. um, the pop culture stuff. What people think about when they think of BuzzFeed and that's what they started with. Yeah. And it helped them build this, this cash fund, this, this slush fund, essentially it put them in the black during a time when so many media companies are, are not struggling yeah they're struggling and and laying people and buzzfeed did have their layoffs but buzzfeed after they were in the black for some time and just making just straight money um they started doing their investigative journalism and their Mm -hmm. real news and the fun stuff funds the real like the quote-unquote real stuff yeah and you know like we've got like univision buying like gawker Mm. and all these other things like Mm. these places that try to do nothing but you know serious journalism which i mean gawker has its own issues ahead of trash yeah 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 but kotaku's not right right which is under the umbrella of gawker Mm -hmm. um and deadspin too that's what i was gonna talk about too deadspin um you know all these places that try to do real journalism but they don't want to embrace the you know the listicles the things that people will actually like make do clicks like click on Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think ultimately that was Kill Screen's issue. And and I mean I would love for this podcast to try and fill up even a portion of the gap that Kill Screen um, made. You know this this niche in the industry where like t- like taking games seriously, but you know you have to 
it, it's this weird place that media journalism is in right yes. now where you have to have yes. both. Like you can do, like, you know, you want to do the, the key, right? You have to have both. You have to be able to do both. Yeah. Like have your important journalism and have your like investigative stuff. But at the same time, like you've got to give the masses what they want to, to pay the bills. And it's almost kind of unfortunate, but subscriptions just aren't going to cut it. So I've written down a lot of notes. I'm going to talk Good. because I think that I love this conversation. I want to have this conversation really in depth. Um, cause I kill screen to me, um, never made a huge impact on me, but what I was looking for was it did make a huge impact on George and Jarrett, who are the two of the co-hosts of input. Mm-hmm. And one of the weeks when I was moving to Austin and so I was gone for a few weeks, uh, they had an entire episode literally just called shout outs episode, a kill screen memorial. They just did an yeah. entire episode dedicated to kill screen. Um, cause in particular, Jarrett was greatly inspired and influenced in his writing and his criticisms and his style by kill screen. And so just shout out like a bunch of like awesome, great kill screen pieces. Dang. You should all go read. Um, yeah. Definitely send you those. Um, and it's that thing of kill screen was a pioneer in a lot of ways um, in terms of how it covered games, how it talked about games, how it discussed games. Um, I think sites like Waypoint and Kotaku and Polygon are all influenced by kill screen. Um, Waypoint and Polygon in particular sequence by kill screen. Yeah. And yeah. they do it differently. They do their own spin on it, obviously. They do their own version of it, but I th- they were definitely, you can see the clear inspirations and clear delineations in them in Kotaku too. Um, and one of the things I think that's important to know, it's, you kind of really hit the head on the nail, is it's it's the money, right? Like it's, it's more expensive to do super in-depth gumshoe journalism reporting than it is to crank out a top 10 list or anything else, right? Like right. one of the stories that I go to is Igene used to have a writer called Colin Moriarty um, and he did history of pieces where he would go to the oh, studio nice. itself and do like these giant like five, six, seven, eight, ten thousand word pieces on like the history of studio from like where they came to, to where they are now, right? He'd spend like a week there kind of thing, right? And like... It ultimately built up into, he did a four or five part history of Naughty Dog piece. Um, we spent like an entire week at Naughty Dog studio and he like talked for like how much it cost and how much money it spent and everything itself. And the thing about those pieces is that they're wild, extraordinary, super in-depth, thorough, researched, like amazing pieces of writing um, and critical acclaim and everything like that. And their view counts would be obliterated by silly things or by press releases that are basically regurgitated for news or a quick two-minute video. Um, and so he was afforded the opportunity to do them because of his position, because he was right. like a very high senior editor, and because they are great news, and IGN wanted these great stories on their sites. They wanted these kind of banner pieces, which is what they called them. Um, but they also, iTunes also cognizant of the fact that these things don't bring in the views, don't bring in the numbers, don't bring in the advertisers and like the monetary kind of compensation for what they cost in the same way as other things do, right? And like this is something that's not new or novel to the video game industry or to journalism right now, right? Because I, I think back to Ed Murrow, who's kind of the the godfather, the forefather of like radio broadcast journalism and also television journalism um and one of the very greatest journalism one of the greatest journalists to ever live um covered like the london blitz bombings and world war ii and like brought down mccarthy in the 50s kind of thing and incredible journalist and there's a great biography of him and murrow hosted 
one of the most like brilliant TV news programs of all time um, in the 50s. Again, that like, helped bring down Joe McCarthy. Um, but he also, while not doing that, also hosted like some basically like a 50s version of like MTV Cribs where he would like go like interview celebrities in their homes and like talking about like dumb fluff stuff and he hated it. He hated the, doing the show. He hated doing the like the dumb celebrity stuff. He didn't like the interviews. He didn't like doing the project in general. It was nonsense. It was fluff. It wasn't important. Um, you and gotta, you got to pay your rent. And it took him away from the other stuff. But the thing is that that show got better numbers than his other show did. And so in order to keep the other show on, he had to do this show, right? He kept the lights on for the actual hard hit news. Like even in the 1950s, even at the dawn of broadcast journalism, this is a problem that was endemic to the profession, right? And so like it's that thing of like it's always been this balancing act. Um, and eventually Murrow kind of um, walked away from the whole thing after he gave like a blistering, like scorched earth speech um, oh, no. towards the end of his career where he's just like, this industry needs like, and it was like, it's a brilliant speech. It's an amazing call to arms, like be better for the industry and be better for the profession. But he just basically like took shots at his bosses at CBS and they were like, well, this is awkward now. Um, but, but that is what's best for the industry. Because I mean, if you don't do those, that fluff, then you can't do what the people actually need. You can't fulfill the actual role of journalism. It's an ancient balance act, right? And it's, it's, always, it's always been there, right? Like it's, it's endemic to so many things within that profession. Um, but I, I mean, I think of Kill Screen, I think of like One Up and like those kind of sites of that air that felt like they were just doing something very different. It kind of like were edgy and novel, right? And like One Up doesn't exist anymore either. It got incorporated into IGN. Right. Um, Kill Screen wasn't that fortunate. Um, like even like game trailers doesn't exist anymore, right? Like that. Oh, yeah. Like, got lost and like IGN took the videos, but like those guys went on to do their own thing now doing easy allies, but like those sites and obviously like anything from. Um, G4 doesn't exist, but like, oh, yeah, it's G4. It, it it's hard. It's not easy, and like doing stuff like that is super important. And that's the thing. That's the thing, right? Like you see, but I think what encourages me is that Kilskin is not here anymore, and that is a shame, and that's incredibly unfortunate for the industry at large because they were doing such awesome work and talking about things that nobody else really was, and covering things that nobody else really was in a way that nobody else was. But what inspires me and keeps me hopeful is that like their influence. And DNA of that is streaked all across the industry. I mean, their fingerprints are all over Waypoint and Kotaku and Polygon. It's all over places like OK Beast that are smaller. It's all over a lot of smaller sites, honestly. It's all over input um, and IP in general for like the editorial side of things. Um, it's all over this podcast. Like, it's, it's yeah. there, right? It's inspired and it's touched with people, right? And so, like, even if the thing itself isn't still there, its influence is still profound and its influence is still deep rooted. And it's there at places like, IGN and GameSpot, you just look for it, but it's very much there, right? And so, like, it is incredibly unfortunate, but, like, they can be very proud of the legacy they did in those short few years because it is all over the place. Yeah, and I guess the thing that IGN and Kotaku Polygon, the things that they do to keep the lights on are game reviews, right? They, like... Game reviews and, like, like news stories, right? Those kind yeah, of things are easy. Top rating. 10 list, top 25 list, right? Like, and But the thing that frustrates me, and, I mean, I don't know how you feel about Donkey on on YouTube. Um, but I was watching a video of his where he mm. was talking about video game reviews and he hit on something that I think is really interesting that, you know, IGN, different contributors can rate, can talk about like the same game mm. and like give it completely different 
ratings on their like talk shows mm-hmm. and their written pieces and like the like so IGN doesn't have a specific rating on a game it's a different authors mm-hmm. and like even within a single review you can like you can see things like the, the controls are clunky the environments are uninspired mm-hmm. the you know the online isn't that great but Call of Duty does a great job really making you feel like you're a part of World War Two nine out of ten you know like and it's like there's no consistency Whereas if you follow individual contributors or authors or YouTube, you know, personalities, you know that like, oh, this kind of guy doesn't like RPGs. This kind of guy hates shoot 'em ups. So I know what I'm going into when they talk about these games. Um, and I, I mean, but I mean, IGN and these places have to do these reviews to keep the lights on because mm-hmm. video people who play video games are by nature consumers of that thing right mm-hmm. they need to buy those things they want to know if they should buy too. and they need to know like if they need to buy them so mm-hmm. that's what's going to make them come to a media outlet but i never like when i think of ign maybe a little bit more kotaku and maybe a little bit more polygon but i don't think when i think ign i don't think of like thought pieces on video mm-hmm. games mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. game reviews mm-hmm. right like complete polar opposite from kill screen where like i could go to kill i could like crack open a kill screen and read it from cover to cover mm. and no i'm not gonna see any ads because mm-hmm. i didn't have any at all mm-hmm. and i'm not gonna see any like strict reviews on mm-hmm. game i'm gonna see like how did this game make you feel mm-hmm. i think it's complicated right it's messy i mean this is this, this conversation i'm really glad we had this and actually like this point in time this conversation is one that's been had in the industry for since its inception right since like nintendo power back in like 1990s right oh, like, it's, F in the chat for nintendo power. it's it's always been there um it's again this tension of like what you want to do versus what you need to do versus doing like important hard thoughtful feature stories versus doing non things like that um that tension is always there and if you don't like there are people who, at all these places who would love to do more of those kind of things. It goes back to having the money to keep the lights on to do those kind of things. It goes back to top, like it goes back to like both can be fun too, right? Both can be rewarding in their own ways, right? Like people love to do lists. I love lists. I'm like, I'm, I love lists. I love oh, sure. to rank things. I love to do lists. Um, and they also bring in views. And so why would you not want to do that? And like, I have people love silly content. Um, and that can go hand in hand with features. There are great features and thoughtful pieces on IGN. Um, there are great thoughtful pieces on GameSpot. Kotaku, Waypoint, Polygon of all kind of made their bread and butter in a lot of ways doing those kind of pieces. That's kind of their sh- main thing, I would argue. Kotaku yeah. in particular um, is very, 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 very less focused on reviews and a lot of the places are. Right. But even like Waypoint, like there's like one of my favorite pieces of games writing um, in general comes from Waypoint, which is a weekly, uh, yeah, it's a weekly series where a guy basically just talks about like Indians. Um, oh, nice. Indians of things. And it's really, and Cameron um, does, has this incredible fluidity to his writing and ability to kind of pierce through all the bullshit to just write to the heart of the matter and like can talk about things and see so many layers and things and like the ending of things and how they bring about the ending. Um, and it's, it's a recurring thing that I shout out on input and I absolutely love it. And so there are these great things on this and those kind of sites like Waypoint and Kotaku and Polygon um, that are kind of more niche sites. Um, and I think also to the review thing, yeah, I mean, I've heard, I've heard that critique before, obviously of like, whether it's like, any like whether it's like PewDiePie or anybody else kind of saying that kind of stuff and to me 
I like the breadth of diversity and thought that like an IAGN can afford, right? Because like to me, what that allows for is conversations, right? Like the most important thing to me about about anything in like pop culture, entertainment, storytelling is the conversation around it, right? And when it's one person, he can have or she can have or they can have a really great, um, like thoughtful, articulate view and response on how they feel about this thing, how it made them feel. But at the end of the day, it's also a one person talking. It's not a back and forth, another conversation, right? right. Like what I like, one of my some of my favorite things on any site are like spoiler cast, like review discussion, where people get like sit around and just like talk about the thing together, right? Because it's that conversation that I think brings out so much and you can kind of change minds and show you new perspectives of thought, right? Where it's like, yeah, like maybe the person reviewed this game in IGN thought it was like a 7 out of 10, but maybe somebody else thought it was a 9 out of 10, maybe somebody else thought it was a 5 out of 10, and I got to and talk about it and talk about how they got to that point and how they got to their thoughts and what they liked or didn't like, right? And like, sometimes there aren't going to be an agreement because the game is just great, right? Um, and sometimes they won't be. And I think either way, the conversation, it can be really illuminating and insightful in a way that it just is unable to be had when it's just one person talking, right? It can still be a great, they, they can each be awesome and great in their own ways, and they are, obviously, um, but I naturally gravitate towards conversations around things. Um, and I'd also say that if you don't think that these sites are looking at personality driven content still too, then I mean, they very much are, right? I mean, like there's like, I'm literally wearing a shirt for kind of funny, which is a website that wouldn't exist if not for the personality of the people that when they were at IGN, right? They were like Greg and Colin and Tim and Nick when they were guys at IGN doing podcasts beyond and those kind of things and like building up their, and like Greg hosts and like up at noon and doing these kind of personality focused driven things to make them large large people that where they then eventually could break off and do their own thing and form their own company right and it's like these sites are aware of that fact um they're also aware of the fact that a lot of these personality people end up leaving um right but like not all of them right like Brian Otano has been at IGN for six seven years at this point I feel like um, and there are people who have been at GameSpot for years too, right? And like IGN UK has had the same crew in a lot of ways for a long time, which is one of my favorite parts of IGN. Yeah. Um, I guess it just seems disjointed when, you know, within the same review, IGN will like trash a game and then like, oh, we got to keep the publishers happy. So here's a nine out of 10. Reviews are hard. I mean, I, that, and that's, and I get that's, that that's sure. part of the thing too, right? Like, I mean, I can't speak to anybody else, um, but reviews are, reviews are hard. They're not easy. And like, I think I enjoy writing reviews and have less problems with reviews than most people do, right? I'm fairly confident, like, this is what I think and that the review is. It's what you think the person writing this review thinks. Um, but I think that it's also things like, they're not easy. Um, yeah. I mean, writing in general, you could argue, is not easy. When it's hard to be a monolithic entity and say, even, like, this is what we as a collective yeah, did right. this game as a rating, a numerical rating. And I think, it's, I think a good example of this is, I mean, even at, like, a site like, Rush of Passions, which is a small, tiny, tiny, tiny site, it's like a dealer's site kind of thing. It's not big in any way. But it is still a thing of like, even amongst our eight person staff, we still have disagreements on like what, how good games are or aren't, right? Like, sure. One, like, you won't like if I mention this probably, but like t uh, two years ago in 2017, I think it was, um, maybe 2016, um, one of our editors, Nassim New Stafford, getting one of my co hosts an input, George uh, reviewed Bound and he gave it a 10 out of 10. Mm hmm. Because um, he deeply, it had a deep personal impact on him, and he think is a very powerful piece of work to him. I um, mean, he stands by that. 
and he thought it was gonna be like the next journey that it was gonna be like this huge pop it would take the industry by storm and it oh, didn't God. and nobody really talked about it and didn't really get that much of a pop and then amongst the eyepiece of itself none of us really clicked it in the same way um, and we still occasionally even grieve for it but that's what he felt playing the game right because at the end of the day whether they're written for irrational passions or ign or kotaku waypoint review is your thoughts it is your review it is ne it's never been ign's review of something people just shorthand called it that but it's never been true it's, it's always it's been a contributor that person yeah. writing the view it's yeah. their thoughts it's their opinions right like there is no objective review it's objective in the sense of like this is what i think but that is i mean inherently subjective right like every and, view is subjective and, and that's the digestible nugget that the yeah. consumer wants and that's what's going to keep the lights exactly on, I get right that. and like nobody nobody can ever have any sort of declarative statement on any actual review because everything is up to the person who plays it and how they play it and when they play it and under what circumstances they play it in and i think that like I've played games and reviewed games for IP that people don't agree with, right? Like I reviewed Tacoma and give it a seven out of 10. George adamantly disagrees. He thinks that's way too low for that video game. So even within our site, like there's always tensions, always disagreement. There is no irrational passions or IGN or anything gives this game a 10 out of 10, right? Like if we ever do any sort of thing for this site or this venture, right? And like do these kind of things, like there will be games, mini games or anything where we will not agree on how good or that's bad true. something is, right? That's like, true. It's just that's the inherent nature of this, right? But it, it'll still be this is what it is for, especially through time and space or through IP or through IGN. Um, and I think that I don't know. I I, I, dream, I long for the world. I dream for the world where people can accept it's somebody else's opinion and embrace it. I'd be like, all right, cool. That's how they feel. And I might not agree with that. Yeah. Um, but be like, that's okay too. Um, and I think for me that's part of like part of the beauty and fun and joy of reviews is going to say like this is what i think about this thing um and then maybe it's bad maybe it's terrible maybe it's okay maybe it's mediocre or maybe it's something quite extraordinary and i think you should play it for these reasons this is what i feel this is the emotional impact it had on me right um and like i think of like when we ever do like game of the year list which are all, which we could totally very easily include in the same category but like game of the year list Oh, are yeah. super messy and complicated in their own ways. Like their game of the year is incredibly complicated and messy, um, way more than reviews are because it's way more of a project. But like, I think of like when I do my like top ten game of the year list every year, and it's like this is what I think. These are obviously a these are not sure, the top sure. ten games to the side as a whole because that'll be a different list. But it's like this is what I think is what I yeah, feel. I mean, ultimately, it comes down to you're ta you're talking about a person's opinion. Yeah, it's and I get opinions that. and I get thoughts that and, sure. and like the, the effect it had on. I them. guess I guess my thing is that. And I mean, it's not that I disagree at all. No. I get that. I think that the reason why we still need places like, and I get it again, like ratings keep the lights on mm -hmm. because consumers need that. But my thing was always with Kill Screen, like it, a game is so much more than just yes. like a numerical yes. rating. That's absolutely I want to hear about like, yeah, maybe Left 4 Dead like was clunky sometimes yep. and like batshit crazy stuff happened in that yep. game that like didn't make sense. But at the end of the day, you felt like a hero playing that game, and we talked about that. There so. are places that don't assign numerical reviews. I don't believe Waypoint or Kotaku gives a number review. Oh, really? They just do a written review and or like, I and just say, right. like, I haven't noticed that. this is how we, what is what we think of it. Um, I know Polygon does give a numerical review, but they also do something where they do something called, um, it's like Polygon Recommends, where they're just like, talk about a thing, and like, the number's at the end of the bottom, but like, that's not the point. I mean, I'd also just go as far as say, like, the number is never the point. Right. The number is just like an easy thing to look at, but it's like the thing, the actual review itself is always the words or like right. if it's a video review, the video itself, like the words that are being said here. And it's like, 
but there are places out there that do that kind of thing, whether it's Waypoint or Kotaku um, that don't do numbers and do have these kind of really cool conversations around it. And I'd also say like, like IP, we do numbers. I like numbers reviews. Um, but I also think that the most important part of it is the actual written word itself. That's where your thoughts are being conveyed. And like sometimes to the earlier point you made, like you'll say like this thing is really bad and not that great, but the game is still nine out of 10. Yeah. And the reason for that is because maybe those other things just don't matter as much, right? Like there is right. no perfect video game, perfect anything, but they're the flaws just might not matter. It might be insignificant, even if, they, or they might be big, but they just pale in comparison to how special something else is, right? Like whether it's games like Gone Home or like Journey or Uncharted that like have issues, but like are also just like what so they're fun. what they're doing. You're kind of right. Like I think of a game like Hellblade, which was my game of the year for 2017. It's like it's got issues. It's not perfect. It some of its puzzles are not great at all. It can be like confusing. You can get lost. Um, it's combat, which I really like, but some people don't. They find it kind of simple and easy. But I think it's the point. Um, but I think the story that is being told in Hellblade is incredible and powerful and had a profound impact on me and on a lot of people. And I think that's the point, right? Like it's just like this game can have issues, but like do the benefits succeed the issues and sometimes they don't right like sometimes and then sometimes it's the opposite end where it's like there are games that are messy and complicated and not that great but it's like but also like they have some good elements to really like i think of like red dead 2 which i is a clusterfuck which nearly broke me as a gamer right but it's yeah. that thing of like i get you feel like you should like that game yeah like everything tells you yeah everything yeah i, I had the same thing where yes like, everything told me like this is everything that i ever listed that i wanted oh huge open world so much to yes. do you know complicated stuff going on but at the same time approachable yes and i just couldn't I've, i i was bought and i spent yes. like 60 bucks on yeah it. i've been writing a thing various different things on red dead for like eight months now about like just like the fact that like red redemption 2 is the ultimate example of the like hubris and overly <laughs> ambitious it is a testament to man's pride try and like trying to do everything and ultimately in doing that not nailing any one aspect of that game like as every aspect of that game is like this would have been better if you hadn't tried to do such a grand thing if you just if somebody at any point in time had said no or try to limit the scope of this it would have actually been more powerful and it's what it did and i think that's a good thing too like i have so much negative shit to say about redemption 2 the game is still a seven right like that's another one where it's like, like you could have so much bad to say about a game but it's it can also be like but also it's still a seven right like or well, there can just be so much good about a game and it still be like a five or six like it's logan it's don't you don't you feel bad because so many of those developers like forgot their wife's name by spending so much time at the office it's, making that game for you logan it's such a thing they made they Rock made place, it for you Rock, rockstar's workplace culture is a whole other topic that we get into and how messy and bad that is but uh it's just it's hard i mean like it's like that's the end of all this right and obviously it's hard killscreen doesn't exist anymore it's hard it's not easy there's a lot of competition um and i think what i will say is that killscreen does not exist anymore but it (laughs) logan wilkinson 2019 but it lives on in a lot of other sites and it lives on a lot of other writers um who every day wake up and try to do something like that and it might not. They might go to bed that night and not have done kill screen style work, but they wake up the next day and try to do something like that. And they try to write a story or a feature or these kind of things, right? Like I think of myself as a, like, I like reviews and I like those kind of th- stories and like previews and doing pack stuff. But like, 
my favorite things about the features, things I almost exclusively write now are features. It's these kind of, it's these kind of style pieces that would belong on a kill screen or a waypoint or Kotaku or Polygon. Or, or I think have a space for an IG, but like I like writing features. I like writing stories um, and telling a story within a story about games um, and the personal nature of them. And so I think its influence goes from very large people and sites to very small ones and goes to a site like it uh, goes to an organization like this which is a venture that is entirely obviously the dna of killskin is all over you and is that's gross possibly on me as well so yeah that's what i'd say it's a very good conversation though my one that will not end today yeah for sure for sure um i think the only other thing that i wanted to bring up tell me okay i'm ready so into my veins so there are certain words in the human language also before we actually move into that um i'm building that website for us for yes. this for this podcast very nice uh and apparently there's a uh, we're gonna have a blog section i just decided oh as i was building it so we can actually write idea. those things that is an excellent um, idea you can check it out whenever we launch it you'll find out yeah, I'll, yeah. on twitter and it's just a matter everything. of i need to take um photos for us not of us but stuff to make the website look i will make or maybe us all right. just, or the background is just our faces. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just <laughs> like it's faces. like a MySpace in like 2006. Yeah, it's just yeah, us, exactly. Um, this was just something I thought of the other night as I was trying to fall asleep, and I just thought I'd bring it up to you. Just is the auto chess thing? Uh, no, screw the auto chess okay, thing. Okay. I don't know why I wrote that in there. Um, although I guess we could talk about that at some other time. But okay, so there are words in the English English language. Oh, okay. okay. So, so if you say something, yeah. Okay, let's let's say this. Mm-hmm. So that uh, that boy is very okay. intelligent. He says things intelligently. Okay. Okay. That boy is quick. Mm-hmm. He runs quickly. Mm-hmm. Or that girl is. Um, she has a lot of quirks. She is quirky. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I can never think of a time. Mm-hmm ever mm-hmm. when i could say like oh she is so dainty she has a lot of daint mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i just the word dainty is weird to me and i'm and i don't i did no research into this so i guess it's really not that big a deal to me but like i want to know where the word dainty came from i want to know the etymology of daint so i don't know the etymology of dainty um like I, you, have a, you have a lot of daint like, girl, I can see your daint from here. I mean, I guess because like describing it, it's like somebody, it's something like kind of delicate and small. Uh-huh. Um, oh, sure. And so my thing on that is I'm going to take this topic and I'm going to run with it. Okay. And expand it to just be like, the English language is weird. Um, I've had this conversation with somebody literally like the other day where it's like, the English language is strange because it's like four different languages kind of smushed together. Right. It's like Greco-Roman. Where it's, yeah, you have like... Kind of Romance. It's like, it's like French and Germanic languages and like Nordic languages and then like the Latin language all kind of be like smashed together and like it doesn't make any sense. Um, it is one of the harder languages to learn. Yes. It's um, a pain. Because it's pulling from so many different roots. Um, because of its rules are actually not rules. Um, and... Dainty wouldn't be like there are a surprising amount of words, a lot of words that are like very commonly used words uh, that were invented by Shakespeare. I think it's something like he invented like a few like thousand words. Mm-hmm. Um, so dainty could be a word that Shakespeare invented. Um, oh, I, okay. Do you want to hear this? Sure, tell me. Tell okay. me. Tell me. Breaking news. Breaking news right, right now. Right, 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 right. Okay. 
Interesting. So the origin is Latin. Mm-hmm. It's a Latin word. It comes from the Makes Latin sense. root dignus, meaning worthy. Oh. And then nice. there's another Latin word called dignitas, like worthiness or beauty. Okay. Like and distinguished. Kind yes, of. Okay. yes. And then Old French, um, and I can't say French words, but it, but it might sound the same, but dainty, so it's D-A-I-N-T-I-E. Mm-hmm. Or dente, so D E I N T I E. Choice morsel or pleasure. And hmm. then in Middle English, it became the word that we have now, which is dainty. And it was big in the 1900s, like early 1900s. Yeah, Thanks, Google. Yeah. Um, so I guess it came from like, it, it comes, from, came, comes from Old French and Latin. I guess, yeah, but French. Even, but even that word is like a perfect example. It's like even dainty is a great example of what I'm saying where it's like it went through two languages before it got to English. Yeah. Like it was, it went through Latin and then French and now English. And so it's like, think like that's why English is so weird where it's like, because like French and Spanish um, and Italian, obviously, yeah, all have like... Romance. Their romance languages, Latin roots, pretty simple. Like if you can speak one... You can't necessarily speak all of them, but like you can learn them pretty easily. Right. They're all sim- get they're a, all drawn from similar roots. You get right? along, yeah. Um, and Spanish, in particular, is like one of the easiest languages in the entire world to learn if you're an English speaker. And in fact, if you're right. an English speaker, it is the easiest language in the world to learn. But well, somebody cognates. Yeah, but English is not like that. English is not really easy for anybody because it's a weird language. It, it doesn't make, make any sense. sense. There are no rules that are like hard and fast. And my favorite thing to point this out is that like look at vowels. What vowels are there? You have A, E, I, O, U, and sometimes, sometimes y. y. Just sometimes Y. Just and like, de- depends on the mood. Does anybody know when that Y is used? No, but you know, sometimes there's a Y is a vowel, right? And so I think like, sometimes Y is a vowel, right? And like, we just, there are like 13 forms of like punctuation, and it's like, in every day of your life, you use no more than like four, maybe five. Right. You use period, comma, exclamation point, question mark. And see, I'm like, even, even beyond that, nobody's Logan, using, you forgot about apostrophes. And nobody's using, nobody's using, like, maybe apostrophes, or even so like parentheses kind of thing. But it's like, nobody's using a lot of these things. Like, does anybody know the correct usage of brackets? Like, these kind of things. It's like, we have these things, semicolons, like, but, like, nobody really oh, ever oh, right. uses them, right? And that's, like, the thing where it's just, like, I always got points taken off for semicolons. Yeah, everybody did in school. English. And I'm still bitter about it. And it's that thing of, like, our language is so weird and bizarre and strange. And, like, part of that I love because it's, like, it's sort of like almost like a global language and since it like it is pulling from so many different communities and part of that is like man this is frustrating and annoying and it doesn't make any sense um i think the english language is a very poetic language in a lot of ways i mean obviously i think the word the kind of works of shakespeare are pure poetry and like perfect but like i think that most of us aren't shakespeare um no, is the issue except for me and except for us yes and i think that dainty and those kind of words like that's a great example like or how about like the and the. A the and the? Yeah, right? Or like two, two, and two, or there and there, or like these kind of things. It's like, why did we do it like this? And like every language has quirks, obviously, like Spanish does and French does and German does. But like the quirks in English are just kind of the entire language. It's, it's all of those languages' it's like, quirks just like, put together. Yeah, it's like the quirks in English are like the rules, not the exception. Right. It's like it's just like that's like the thing. And it's like, oh man, like this is bizarre. Why would we do it like this? Or like even like the Oxford comma we can't even agree on. It's like, the entire language is kind of messy and complicated and weird. And like, I would love like next week for us just like grab a bunch of words and be like, what's up with this? What's up with night? 
Yeah, it's yeah, a great example. Night and night, right? Or like somebody the other day, I gave my segment, this was like, why is slaughter pronounced slaughter when it should be like slaughter? Slaughter, yeah. Yeah, it's not, right? Like, and then you get into like pronunciation of things and like silent letters and it's like, why did like we do it like this, right? And like part of the goofiness of English too is that like in the like 1600s, um, like the great vowel shift happened and which like changed like obviously vowels and like how they pronounced it, how they were said and right. like, where they were placed in the things. And it's like that had an effect on like the English language and how it's like read and spoken. It's like if you go far back beyond that, it becomes increasingly difficult to like understand English. Right. It's like um, old English at that. It's yeah, a whole other language. Thing, like, and that's the thing is that like old, middle, and modern English are like French and Spanish don't really operate like that in the same way. Like it's like if you if you speak Spanish, you can pretty much read Spanish. Yeah, it's hundred years ago. It's a phonetic language. And like Spanish. French, you can read it pretty much hundred. Like there's there is old French, but like you can pretty much read most of it except for maybe like old old French. But like English is like even Middle English is like this is very different and like you can read it and speak it obviously shakespeare is not quite middle english it's not quite modeling it's like this in between gap um but like it's tricky right and then like old english is almost incomprehensible like it's incredibly hard to understand old english yeah like f became th or something yeah like and like these kind of things like canterbury tales everybody knows a lot of the tales but they know the, the translated versions not the actual like oh, yeah. you actually read like like the symbols itself like the symbols of words are oh, very so different they're, they're nonsense to us like if you, nowadays we don't understand and like this is part of the problem is like again like both in terms of like the language itself, the words, the pronunciation, the symbols, the writing, and then just the history of it, the English language doesn't make any sense. It's a weird, bizarre, fake language. It just kind of became a real language. And it's like, that's the problem is that like, it was never meant to be a real language. It was meant to be like, here's some French and here's some Latin, and here's like some like native Celtic language kind of thing, and like Anglo-Saxon language. And then like the Vikings came, and then people just started like speaking like each one of these things and like slowly combining them into one thing. And it's like, well, this isn't how it's supposed to have worked. We should have picked one and we didn't. And, yeah, and it's too late now. Exactly. And it is. And it's like now we're the most spoken language in the entire world. And it's like, well, for better or worse, we kind of screwed everybody over. But yeah, here we are. Everyone has to learn this language now. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was uh, that was all I had. It's very good. I liked it. Um, everybody's sending your questions about what English words are bad next week. I'd like to know them. I'd like to hear them. That's that's our homework, Renee. Just get bad English words next week. My homework is to buy Hollow Knight and play it. Yes. And tell you how it goes. And I'll put together some words. And to finish this website. I'm gonna put some fun things on Twitter. Good. Do, Do some it. memes. Um Renee, where can they find you? Oh, they can find me on Twitter. Um that's basically the only place you can find me. Um at Renee four five nine one. Please yell at me. Mm-hmm. I like it. I feed off of it. Yeah. I love that energy. Yeah. Uh, Logan, where can they find you? You can find me at Lefty Logie on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I am also over at com forward slash uh, where I co-host a neat little podcast called Input. Um, and just go check out everybody's work there. Video Game Book Club, IPP, all of the stuff that's there, reviews, features, previews, and more. Um, it's very neat. Me and Alex are going to be starting a new project thing technically we're starting work on it this week but it won't go live for another like a month or so but be excited it's goofy and dumb and silly um but is it stupid yeah nice uh brilliantly stupid Good. and so keep an eye out on that keep an eye on reviews i want to be writing more stuff there soon um and then you can also find me on twitter talking about pizza probably sports and Renee and his good looks. Oh, snap. Uh, and you can find the podcast at oh. 
what is his Twitter handle? That's a great question. The podcast, oh, yeah, Twitter, the podcast handle. Twitter handle. Twitter handle. To get us it's... more followers on the thing, you should follow the podcast at uh, ATT, no, ATTAS podcast. ATTS podcast on Twitter. Yep. And follow us there and tell us all the fun things. We do polls sometimes. We polled a fun thing about what you'd rather fight. And the correct answer won is all I'll say. That's a little tease for you. The correct answer won. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the best fighter won. Um, and it will kill you. And so do that. Subscribe to us on iTunes, um, Spotify. Yes, iTunes, Snapchat, Spotify, Stitcher. SoundCloud. Google Play. All of the things. Mixer. Your local FM radio. Twitch. And be sure to rate and view us on iTunes as well. We like to think, say nice things about us. If you have bad things to say, then rate and view them on like brightbart.com don't don't do yeah, it don't, here don't do it here um and i've been told that you can't read and view things on spotify and i'm just saying you're not trying hard enough that's true find a way to do it you man. can find a way to do it all right peace out everybody bye